everyone. Uh, welcome to another episode of Wig Talks, the Brilliant or Bust podcast. Today's show is sponsored by Object Matrix, Viddy Spine, and Zixi. I'm Christy King. And I'm Nick Pierce. And we have part two of the predictions episode for you. If you uh, caught up with the first one and heard what everybody predicted for the media industry in 2021, this is the rest of the predictions. We all had so much to say, we split it into two parts. Yeah, we figured that uh, an hour and 45 for a podcast might be a bit much, (laughs) even though the, the content is really super interesting and somewhat controversial at times. Yep. So we've got some controversial stuff and some interesting uh, predictions. Actually, a couple of things I didn't expect. So let's get to it. Absolutely. And just a reminder, again, if you didn't listen to the first half of this episode, I really recommend you do it. All right. The next one is Mr. Bolton. And he says, in 2021, machine learning and artificial intelligence will finally have the profound game-changing impact in the media industry that many of us have talked about in years past. Eric. We've all been discussing this for a while. And what I would say is that this is the year that you're going to see that. People understand there is a lot of AI and machine learning at the edge and consumers and Facebook bots. But you're going to see virtualization has now occurred. And as signal paths of television have proliferated in the IP world, understanding and having visibility across that becomes super important. And you're, you have one telemetry and atomic levels of data that you didn't have, you can now make correlations between them. And you're gonna be able to relate things from a quality of transport in terms of you know packets and things, a quality of service, what's my uptime and my quality of content on audio video levels and metadata, which ultimately yield this umbrella of the quality of experience and maximizing that quality of experience is going to really allow you to monetize at the highest level. And so that I think this becomes weaponized. I know what we're working on. I think once this surfaces, it's going to change the way everyone kind of reacts to it. And that ranges from very large scale folks like AWS, Google, and Azure, and certainly every single major content broadcaster on the planet. And anybody that wants to get involved in that will have to be there. I would say as a software vendor, if you're not enabling yourself on AIML uh, within the next three years, you won't be in business in five. Mm-hmm. Boom. Right. How could you not agree with that? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think <clears throat> one point I'd like to add to it, though, is that, because um, I think you're, you're right, but but we've talked a lot about in the past years, and the stuff that's wowed or the stuff that's hit the headlines has been things like face detection and image detection, largely metadata creation and other things. And I think... I mean, that's cool. That's interesting. There's a place for it. But I think what we're seeing is AI is working its way into other parts of the business that has real changes in terms of how much money we can make and, and, and how profitable bits of the business are or how much things cost. Like a couple of examples, we successfully deployed something actually in 2019 um, in terms of AI-driven audience forecasting so that you know you can predict your audiences for um, commercial breaks and things. That has a big impact in, in terms of spot placement and things. And at Not NAB this year, we, we also showed some stuff around using AI to predict uh, efficiencies and times through um, media supply chain workflows. Well, that enables you to you know, to do things like changing red line decisions and that kind of stuff, automating those things. And they have a real, like, real impact on the business. So, so it's not just the sharp 
shiny stuff that I think will start to to, to show through in 2021. It's some of those things that, that really change. I think um, it's it's a fascinating area and, and it's getting more and more interesting as we're finding the different applications. Yeah, I, I, I agree, Ben. And, you know, I sometimes I, I, I hate these kind of predictions as much as my own because uh, they're so open-ended in AI and uh, machine learning, you know, can basically mean anything. But I love this production because I think you're completely right in that this type of influence is sneaky, right? Like, you know, because it's, it's coming up kind of slowly, you know, it was, you know, sort of in the background. Then all of a sudden, some of the things that you're looking at are, are absolutely reliant on this. And I think that to Ben's point, that some of the more mundane yet uh, more useful ways of using this are going to become a lot more prevalent in 2021. I still prefer the shiny objects because I'm a very shallow person, <laughs> but um, there are some cool examples of that as well, like uh, derived super slow motion and automatic directing. And, 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 and certainly, you know, the metadata is, is, is kind of where we got our foothold on this. But I think that 2021 could have an increasing, and I, I, would, have, I would have taken a page of, from Sinead's book on this one <laughs> and just said an increasing um, effect or an increasingly profound effect, uh, effect, and then that way you get you, you get out of any culpability, Eric. You see, and then uh, but 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 I appreciate your, uh, your 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 willingness to go off the cliff, but I don't wholly disagree with it, and I'm seeing um, examples of this all the time. Yeah, I was going to call BS on this one um, until um, it was a little bit clarified because I think uh, much like we talked about on the Deep Fake podcast, everyone associates Deep Fake with negativity, and it, it was actually built to help make some processes of editing more efficient, right? The technologies help us be more efficient. And I think that this is uh, in, the, in the side of being uh, more efficient and understanding more and how to be more profitable, I couldn't agree more. I think this will be an emerging, uh, increasing use of, uh, of that side of things. I think when it comes to the shiny toys, I still think it is a whole lot of waffle at the moment. Um, and it belongs in the smelly vision category, but um, I-, so I agree that, that where it is being used to help businesses understand where they can be more efficient uh, absolutely i agree that there was this point i struggle with this one a bit as well because it's as you as you know i'm i'm very very old and um and and, and sort of you know and i started off as an ai hacker and the one thing that i can tell you about ai booms is they are always followed by ai winters we're at a dangerous inflection on the um on the hype curve i think at the minute there are sort of a couple of really important points around this whole thing which is you know the point about um ai helping efficiency that's definitely going to be a thing the biggest impact it's made has been uh, applying machine learning algorithms to reducing google's energy consumption costs that kind of stuff will make a material difference but i think there is also something where it's a it's a hype technology we have to be really really careful about hype technologies because actually we're still not that brilliant at software and you know you look at the way that machine learning works um, and there is a danger that we end up burning an enormous amount of energy um, in order to do something which can be solved with a very simple piece of maths or um, or a few very simple rules. I think it'll be brilliant, but there is an appropriateness of the technology choices that we make that will actually make it have its most impact. Well, I'm going to throw a little bit over there to keep going and say that as the world, and this is a B2B look, and as the broadcast world really embraces IP and IP terrestrial, and then you have other elements such as 5G, which are going to shake some things up. You've got, while well, live television and linear television was always difficult, into the digital realm, it becomes exponentially more difficult. 
and you have to have operationals and master control. And we even talk about virtualizing control rooms. Looking backwards and understanding root cause analysis is a super painful problem. Being able to see correlations that you couldn't see will be super helpful. Getting near and real-time data to be pulling that out um, versus looking back where many of the services are pretty far back, sure, which is why you have real-time confidence monitoring still when you should be able to have digital reach into that. And doing prescriptive and proactive items where you can see. We, we in just sort of fledgling finding it out are seeing that certain outages on a given client, um, we can predict with like 90% certainty within a minute, but within an hour, this is early days, we have a 50-50 chance. And I think as that gets improving, and if you can understand where that's going to go, you're going to, you're going to have SLAs that go to six and seven nines. You're going to have measurement and proof of what the quality of that programming was. And you're going to assign that to an optimized level of advertising, because if the edge is curated to the, and Spotify for the consumer, it implies you need an intelligent back end to do that. So if, the, if somebody knows that I need to see a certain piece of content and it's limited in terms of the volume, I want to be able to reach into a deeper and ultimately infinite universe of content and be able to find that person, curate that piece, and then bring them the ad or the subscription. So I, I think this is less far away than people think because the data is actually available and we, we Zixi touch tons of it and we'll be able to pull it from other systems. And then as we all know, AI systems they go generational. Um, and I think it's going to move a lot faster than people thought because they tend to think of the consumer facing versus the back end sort of process driven utility aspect. So you guys are doing this now. I mean, like this is real 2020, 2021 stuff. Yep. Okay. But also, I think we tend to think about it as things that we are either building or directly engaging. You know, if we, if we sort of made the same statement about the cloud, Mm. We'd also, you know, the massive acceleration, it's here and all that. Well, same thing, you know, I'm, I'm by default, I have entered into a world of machine learning and AI, whether I thought I was going to do that or not. It didn't mean my dev team, you know, and a bunch of data scientists were doing something. I'm buying it anyway. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. so I do wonder, sometimes it sounds a lot bigger than it is. It's kind of, it's with us now anyway. It is, it's already transforming us. Um, so, so yes, it will increasingly do so. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent sidestep. I approve. <laughs> In 2021, machine learning and AI will finally have the profound game-changing impact in the media industry many of us have talked about in years past. Sinead, brilliant oh, or go. bust? Okay, brilliant. Nick? It's a bust for me because it's not going to be the, the big bang uh, that Eric's expecting, I'm afraid. Steve? Yeah, and what he said. Actually, yeah, politics. I agree with Nick. Yes, I think it's a bust. Michael? I think it's brilliant, uh, if only to go against uh, Nick and Steve. I think, we are, <laughs> I think we are two steps to Skynet, and pretty much the machines are taking over, and it there could happen go. next year. Okay. Eric, obviously, you're... I'm going to go brilliant, and it gives us a place to restack the deck by mid-year, so I'm looking forward to that. All right, Ben. <laughs> yeah, brilliant. I, I, I think... Game changing might be a bit strong, but I think it's it's going to be the year. That was a good one. We had split finally. I like it when they split. 2021, we'll see a global technological, organizational, and cultural shift in media organizations towards cross-platform monetization and advertising. So Ben, why don't you explain a little bit more about what your prediction is? 
you know, we work with a lot of broadcast sellers. We, we call them people working in, in media selling houses or broadcast selling, um, selling advertising. And uh, there has been this desire, if you like, to move towards cross-platform advertising to be selling um, cross-platform from a TV perspective in for, for some time. But there's kind of been um, cultural and organizational barriers against that. Less so technologically, arguably, but primarily that reason. 2020 has been fascinating from an advertising point of view. Um, as we discussed in the first podcast when we were talking about Devoncroft, um, of course, you know, sports drives a, a massive amount of advertising. And in many markets um you know what we call upfronts where advertising space is uh, you know sold a lot of a long way ahead is is the, is the dominant and that just went away this year and the sellers had to become a bit more creative about how they were doing things um and that's driven a whole load of changes in in the industry so i think 21 21 will be the year that we actually start to see that big cultural and organizational shift to start doing this. I think there are counter arguments to this as well. And I think as soon as I wrote it down, I started thinking of those counter arguments a bit more, but um, but that's the four. One of the other parts of this industry that I follow a lot is the ad insertion technology, because it seems like setting up marketplaces at the broadcast level, at least in the US, for doing ad insertion and doing more, basically trying to pick up the broadcast model of ad insertion and put it into the digital space has kind of been where a lot of business philosophy has been centered for a long time. And I almost feel like the in the last 18 months, the bigger shift is, wait, why are we still trying to cram commercials into everything? If we have some digital technology and some data that allows us to approach the concept of sponsorship in a different way, why aren't we kind of blowing this model up a little bit and trying to figure it out? But it seems like the battle is between how do you take the dollars that are over here and move them over here so you don't lose them versus how do we make the industry more creative about what sponsorship means? I, th- I think that's one of the things, and, and I think one of the counter arguments is exactly that: is that we are seeing different monetization models coming into it. Also, you know, subscriptions are taking off in a big way. It seems with with lots of different subservices coming coming online. But I think one of the biggest challenges that has, has been against cross platform is finding a common currency. You know, if you want to sell online, where where people talk about impressions versus traditional TV, where we tend to talk about CPMs or something else. You know, it's it's a completely different currency, and trying to match them and exactly what you said try and um, not lose those broadcast dollars that's quite difficult until you can get that common currency and i think that's one of the shifts that started to happen this year is to do that as as, as a lot of the viewing habits and things have changed as well it always seems that um the case okay, so, of so tv is a brilliant market for, um, for mass addressing of advertising but surely the whole point of um, uh, of the digital relationship, it's very, very personal. You've got that kind of, um, you've kind of got that one-to-one relationship and the ability to target to me exactly those things that I want. So, Sinead, why doesn't Play have twice the revenues of, um, of the linear channels? I think it's uh, progression, not perfection, isn't it? There's still a sort of leverage point about linear and how you buy and how you sell which is incredibly important and I think that's probably true of most broadcasters so sticking sticking with Avod here rather than um, subscription it's a funny one because I sort of read this and thought we've we've been shifting anyway and and so it doesn't feel you know it feels to me as if our advertising 
is across all our platforms. And we as a business, like all businesses, have invested heavily in our VOD and direct-to-consumer offerings. And actually, the money comes in at the front the same way it always did via the agencies and everything else. What has shifted, you're absolutely right, is ad tech and that idea of personalization. And I do think, actually, next year, we'll, we'll see a lot more activity in that area. I think increasingly, you know, the elegance of personalization has, has much improved creatively. I think it has been fairly jarring and, and sometimes occasionally cat-handed from the, from the creative execution, actually, as much as anything else, let alone how things stalk you across various platforms. And actually, I think that's the difference that will really make the difference, if I'm completely honest. You know, we've kind of been on the march and uh, for, for quite some time. I think that there's still a heck of a lot to figure out. But here's the, the panacea, the answer to everything, is um, sports betting. And I think that sports betting on the digital front is going to going to what's going to drive people to the digital front, and they're going to do so because they make some money on what they're doing. They can't make their money obviously watching TV, so now they've got to go onto their devices. And I think that that on road, I mean, we have over a million people every um, every week uh, doing our free to play game uh, Super Six. And, you know, that drives them into a bunch of other things that they can do and potentially be exposed to. So I think that there's definitely some truth in, in, in that. But I think the monetization, the, 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 the big, big news is the proliferation of sports betting, at least in my country. Hmm. I, I would just say, I mean, we, we touch it more than we used to in the past. And the digital world is there. And, you know, even watching new networks and new TV, like the fact that you can now transmit in 4k and you can go directly to smart tvs and you can take a given set of programming and create all kinds of digital distribution carve outs and more content across it the industry you know the american side of it with 70 billion a year in broadcast advertising dollars and a global 250 billion you, you can't just destroy that you've got to curate and manage that and if anything those internet dimes need to become equal internet dollars if they don't become internet ten dollars uh, and the fact that you are broadcasting in the traditional nielsen model and get the rates that you do i think that you're going to watch that shift and you're going to see much more targeted advertising across that and as mike referenced i do think the gambling gaming thing which i have we we can see some projects that are going to hit in the second half of 2021 and probably augment and leverage things like 5G. That's a that's a bonanza because you've got data, you've got programming, and you're going to have sponsors. That is going to definitely impact and be visible this year. 2021, we'll see a global technological, organizational, and cultural shift in media organizations towards cross-platform monetization and advertising. Sinead, is that a brilliant or bust? I mean, obviously, with the word increasingly, it's brilliant. <laughs> brilliant. Michael. I think it's brilliant for the sole use of uh, three and four syllable words. <laughs> <laughs> Eric. I think it's brilliant for the cross-pollinization of American and British cultures. <laughs> okay, then. Steve. <laughs> I'm going to go brilliant because it's, um, it's clearly all-encompassing. Well, all right then. 2021, we'll see the seeds of discontent grow with the monolithic cloud providers. Nick! Now, um, having previously discussed this on a call last week with Eric, I'm, I'm, I'm very afraid of Eric on this one. Um, <laughs> and knowing that many of the people on this call are, are big users of the monolithic cloud providers, I know I'm in for a rough time, but here we go. Um, I think that 
Cloud1.0, as we like to call the, the big monolithic um, providers, is certainly um, that, that sort of one size fits all has, has been okay until now because that's what's been on offer. But I think the term cloud has been um, almost hijacked by the big two or three. And cloud is much more than AWS, Azure, Google. And we've started to see in Europe and the US at a company scale of small and medium-sized businesses moving away from those cloud environments because they have no control over their costs in terms of predictable workflows or costs. And I think that the discussions that we've had around this, you know, if you are a big sports association or you're a big broadcaster, you can have a very different relationship with that big cloud provider than you can if you're a a medium-sized business or a small business. And you will get an account manager and you'll get people to talk to. The, the rest of that community don't get that. Um, there isn't a person to speak to. And I think that we've seen, certainly from people who've migrated away uh, to platforms that we offer, it's been about having a company that they can talk to and understand uh, or who understands their business. And our industry has never been one that has been seen big generalists coming in and, and, and ruling the roost. It's been very much a specialist-driven industry from a technology point of view. And you can see that from the, the vendor demographic uh, in the Devoncroft reports as well. Um, I kind of hedged my bets by saying we'll see the seeds of discontent grow, right? We're looking at an increasing type statement here, if I'm going to appeal to anyone's... Uh, <laughs> he says, <laughs> hopefully. <laughs> um, yeah, and I, and I think that, you know, we're, we're definitely seeing that there's a very open market in terms of um, a demand for more specialized media focused services in this space that can afford companies like our own and others who uh, who that we work with and compete with to take a piece of that cloud share and that the, the term cloud maybe needs to be redefi redefined in 2021 not to mean amazon you know you, you know nick i don't disagree with you i i don't just don't think that's going to happen in 2021 in fact i don't even know if you can use the word increasing in 2021 I don't disagree with you at all. I think that that at some point the seeds of discontent will be sown and you know we will figure out why going to specialists is better way to go. But I, I think that we're so early on in terms of trying to figure out what kind of services these people can even, some of them are just being invented. I mean, to your point, many times on the RFPs, they're actually putting out services that haven't even really been constructed yet or proven. But just by the fact of them being Amazon or Google or, or whomever, uh, Microsoft certainly make the uh, make the leap that they can do it. And maybe they can, but I, I don't think that there's anything wrong in what you're saying. I just think that we're still in the honeymoon period for cloud services in terms of our business. And that, unfortunately, will be another two to three years away. But I don't disagree with the sentiment. Yeah, I think just on that point, I mean, I think this time last year, we were having more sensible conversations about cloud. And then the pandemic happened, so everybody rushed to use it more and became more enveloped in it because it offered those services on a global scale that they needed. Uh, we, we've seen some seeds of discontent, which is why we're winning some business in that space. But I think at a tier of business that you're involved in, I do think that will take a much longer time. But I think that we have to remember that the broadcast industry isn't just your NBCs or Fox. Oh, and, 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 and you said it that, you know, maybe, maybe I've got their ear. 
but a much smaller or even a, a moderately smaller company may not. You're signing on to a huge business versus a boutique industry, and there's always a risk in doing that. Oh, it's a many-layered thing, isn't it, young Nick? Um, I, you know, I go with your one cloud fits all possibly isn't the right route. And it's about what's appropriate, isn't it? And actually, in some cases, we found it the opposite way around, that, that we, having deployed some significant supply chain, are looking at suppliers who aren't quite there with the cloudy credentials, you know, as in not the big cloud. So it's quite hard to unpick where the discontent sits, because I agree with Michael, we're, we're still in that period where we're all learning together. And I do think you're right. I think maybe there is some elegance about what we describe. We are starting to describe things as if they're Hoover uh, rather than being vacuum cleaners. And we have to be careful about brands versus versus services. Um, I think that's po- possibly something we've done in, in the industry. Having said that, I'm not sure specialist is right either. I think I think what's been interesting is our march towards generic technology. You know, when we're not as niche as we used to be. Actually, some of the services we perform that I think if you went back 10 or 20 years, you know, did did require very specific engineering skills. Actually, we we can now do a lot of what we need to do in terms of moving content and data to places using far more generic technology. And there's something really attractive about that. I think it depends where it is in your workflow. You know, we're never going to get away from needing some last mile specialisms. Um, but I think for the, for most of us, it's about what we're putting at the core. And yes, cloud and IP as very lazy terms are probably the thing that's sitting in the middle fulfilling some of those needs. Yeah, if you've got people that sort of are moving away from cloud to, to kind of specialist services about right? that they're um, bad or misleading sellers <laughs> as much as, um, as as much as anything else. I think that your point about this kind of special specialist providers is is probably quite a good one. Um, but I would kind of caveat it. Looking at the cloud market, Sinead's absolutely right that you know if, if you want to go and buy the kind of the services and the tin, um, actually the, the the big clouds are brilliant because that's what they do. Where I think we're missing something still is that we haven't got that layer on top of the those um, the, those kind of infrastructure providers that make it worthwhile to make buying services the right thing. If I could kind of buy what you do. But on top of the um, the Amazon cloud, that would make it a, um, a a great deal easier for me. So it's the I, th- I think it's the I think that there's kind of a caveat and some nuance around specialist providers. As I think that you know, it's I think funny you say that, Steve, because uh, I, I just I just two seconds add in. I've certainly asked providers like yourselves the same exact thing. <laughs> no, indeed, yeah, and we'll say we'll say no. But I think that maybe specialist. <laughs> Specialism is uh, maybe the wrong term because I think people's needs are different and budgets are different. So when it comes to being more appropriate, if you like, for someone's mm-hmm. workflow and their budget, then um, the big generic stuff doesn't fit, right? And that, so if you're looking at someone who needs frequent access to archive content but doesn't like the cost or they want multi-region protection but doesn't like the commercial models offered, uh, and they don't have a ability to do a sponsorship deal because they're a sports broadcaster and get the special discounts, then that, that's the rest of the market that's facing the challenge of how do I build a predictable financial roadmap to offer the services I need to offer under the current sort of big three or four players? Well, it's a lot more difficult. So you have to go a bit more niche and specialized in the provider that is more willing to provide you with that level of service and commercials to enable you to do what you need to do. So it's not just specialism in terms of knows how to connect this widget to that. 
It's about being a provider that's more flexible and tuned into the market and the needs of the market in order to offer the commercial and the technical offerings that our customers need. Hold on, Eric, you you guys are actually tied into AWS and you've chosen to provide some of your services through those bigger clouds. Is is that comparison, does it matter because you're, you're obviously a completely different business than Object Matrix or is there some parallel to this discussion there? No, well, I think us as a, a software-defined video platform is a, a slightly different world. I think we should put things in a little perspective in that Sinead said it best with the Hoover versus vacuum cleaner brand thing. Mm-hmm. Every you know, It looks like AWS is this dominant player, and in media, it certainly has made a pretty strong first-mover impact. But it was interesting to me because I saw a different over the last couple of years of NABs and IBCs, different commitments by different both tech partners and even broadcasters and media and entertainment companies in that the big three, if you take AWS, Google, and Azure and Microsoft, they are 50% of the global footprint of cloud. Mm. And actually, Microsoft is one quarter of the entire market and 50% of that upper tier and AWS and Google are about the same in terms of the actual scale of what they possess for cloud capacity and where they focus. Then you have a variety of people. I think it's also interesting that we live in this and it feels like you know clouds, cloud is so last year, but the reality is the global numbers is you are somewhere between five and no more than 10%, probably eight, just even really cloud virtualized from many aspects. So this is very early days. And from a Zixi perspective, you know, we are definitely implemented in AWS. We are Media Connects Foundation um, for Amazon. We work with Amazon Video, but we're also integrated within Google. We're also integrated deeply within Azure and we work within Oracle and we work on bare metal on places like 100TB and uh, Equinox and things like that. So what I do foresee is Whatever this quote idea of seeds of discontent, I see that the marketplace is about to become even more competitive amongst themselves. And I have major clients that have talked about this is this year of multi-cloud. And that multi-cloud is going to drive increased services, much better price points. Everybody was kind of getting away with some level of, um, you can't quite say they had a monopoly, but they certainly had more control. And I think that's going to get on everything from the commercial basis to diversity of signal paths to regional differences, you're going to see a very elegant tapestry going forward. And this this has just started to become competitive and technology is what's going to make these clouds have to compete with each other. And nothing's better than three really giant companies competing for your business. Well, I mean, there's, there's a couple of things. I think that um, you're absolutely right. I think that if there was a prediction to put out there for next year, I think that multi-cloud is going to be it. Because, you know, with AWS going down on the East Coast, if you didn't have multi-region AWS, you were screwed. And therefore, you know, you might want to diversify your risk by going to another cloud provider. And that means then there is an opportunity for other cloud providers that aren't quite as big to show their wares, et cetera, in terms of what they're trying to do. I also think it's relevant and it's not relevant. It's a bit more of a social thing. I think that, you know, with the antitrust stuff going on in the US and, and in Europe to do with these big tech companies, we don't know what government regulation locally or internationally is going to make on these companies and, and their ability to, to do stuff at a global scale. It's not as relevant a point at this, at this moment. But I just think there's a mood, right? That, and I think it's unfair on Amazon because 
but we buy our desk from Amazon, our chair from Amazon, and we get our food delivered from Amazon in some places, and everything's consumed from Amazon. And in, in that sort of Skynet analogy, that it, you know they are eating the world from that perception, but only in the broadcast world do we feel that. And Eric's right on a you know outside of broadcast, there, there's a much more of a, an even uh, playing field. But right now. There's only one um, protocol that people talk about when it talks about moving stuff to cloud, and that's or in terms of storage for sure. For sure, and that's the S3 interface. That's not a standard, and that's owned by by Amazon, right? And it's the one interface that people implement first, to the detriment of the rest. So it's always the first one they do, and I think that that's where people are going to see that it's no longer a choice to go to a, a, a big cloud provider, and they do get that vendor tie-in. And I think that multi-cloud does have a really really big opportunity to change that. Um, and that's a little bit behind my seeds of discontent, if that helps you vote for me. <laughs> <laughs> Avato Systems, of course, is a multi-cloud vendor. And in Germany, we are we are focused on the Mittelstand, the, the small to medium enterprises. And that's exactly what we do. And you, you started... Your, your spiel, Nick, about, uh, you know, how you buy for people. And if, if you know, if you're not one of the bigger guys, you don't have the direct relationship with AWS or, or Microsoft, whoever else. And if you go to a multi-cloud vendor, then you, you do. So I think I'm backing up your point, but I'm not entirely sure. I also think, I think we've traded out problems as if they're equal. You know, having having my content sat on really old LTOs at third-party providers wasn't much better, if I'm completely honest. You know, having to spend 11 months and a lot of money to get our content out of an archive wasn't a pleasant experience. So I think, I think we get really obsessed with this idea that because it's now software in the cloud, that it's different to the problems we had a while ago. We still had those problems, and I still felt tied in. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. What goes around comes around. Yeah. <laughs> 2021, we'll see the seeds of discontent grow with the monolithic cloud providers. Nick. Brilliant. Steve. Yeah, it's a bust. Okay. <laughs> ben. Yeah. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> the bust ever. I like it. Eric. Uh, sorry, but. All right, then. Michael. I won't say complete bust, but. Sorry, buddy. <laughs> I, I, I knew this was going to be tough. Sinead. It's increasingly a bus neck. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, on that glorious bus, uh, <laughs> we will say thank you all very, very, very much for recording this podcast with us about your predictions. And uh, we'll talk you, to you all soon. See you guys. So that was pretty interesting. Again, I was surprised by some of the things people asserted were going to happen already in 2021. Yeah, I don't know enough about the advertising industry myself, but Ben's prediction and the way he talked about what's coming was certainly very interesting and, and will have an impact in how we are sold to across multiple platforms. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, especially if the United States continues on its path of, of insisting on breaking up things like Google and Facebook, if those things really happen, that's really going to, I think, affect Ben's prediction significantly. I guess we'll see. Yeah, well, and, and on that point, um, that's the point I was trying to make in my prediction, <laughs> was that these big monolithic companies aren't going to be so big at some point in the future. And then we'll see how how the world reacts to that. And, you know, cloud 1.0, 2.0, call it what you like. I think that um, there's room in the market for general stuff and there's room in the market for more specialized things still. But right. I got a big fat bust from everyone on my <laughs> prediction. So what do I know? 
Well, yes, you did. And maybe uh, the machines that do machine learning and artificial intelligence could have <laughs> predicted that as, as Bolton is insisting that <laughs> there will be a whole lot more actual application of those kinds of technologies. So yeah, maybe next year when we record these predictions, uh, the robots will tell us that you're going to go down in flames before we even Well, I, I don't think, I, I knew the robots weren't needed in this instance because uh, many, <laughs> of the, many of the panelists are heavily involved in, um, in monolithic cloud workflows or relationships. So, um, but um, uh, joking aside, Eric's points were actually really interesting because I sort of rolled my eyes and tutted a bit when I saw the ML prediction coming out uh, on the screen, but it was actually the, the application of it in some sort of predicting network behavior and spikes yep. and becoming more efficient was really interesting as yep. opposed to the more public facing, you know, facial recognition or all the other sort of things that people associate with uh, ML and, and AI at the moment. I think that um, the application of it that Eric was talking about is really interesting. Right. And really ties into a lot of what Ben was trying to say about what's going to happen to advertising. We've all figured out how to analyze things going backward. What we haven't been able to do yet is analyze things to make changes in the moment, to do things yeah. in real time. Yeah. That's the thing that he said that I think is really interesting. And if that actually starts to happen in this coming year, that's impressive. We're going to have a really different media world if that turns out to be the case this year. Yeah, indeed. And I think that, you know, some of the things we've touched upon over the last um, few episodes, I think there's scope for us to discuss a lot more in detail, things like 5G, um, things yep. like AI, and then, you know, not just the technology side of our industry, but also the industry itself. I think that the recent uh, events, gatherings have proven that online meeting isn't that efficient, isn't that engaging. And nope. there will have to be a hybrid approach to how we meet people, and that's going to be face-to-face -face in admittedly smaller groups, probably 100 to 1,000, mm -hmm. uh, and then a mixture of that online, certainly in 2021. But yep. Yep. let's hope yep. that uh, we do get to see more of each other next year. And, you know, I would, I predict that we will have a, uh, a glass of wine together, Christy. <laughs> I hope somewhere so. <laughs> in, somewhere probably in the U.S. when I fly over to see, uh, see the gang over there. Yep, um, yep. It would be great. It would be great to crossed. start seeing humans again. That's for sure. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. Happy New Year. And uh, we'll <laughs> see you on the other side for the next episode. Nadole Schlauen. Thank you very much to everyone who joined us today. Uh, we really appreciate your time and your thoughts. We'd love to continue the conversation with our listeners on the WIG LinkedIn group. So if you're not a member, go over and sign up. It'd be great to get your feedback, comments, and questions from anything we've discussed today or any suggestions for future podcast series. So yeah, please do get in touch. Great. Thanks, Nick. And we'll see you next time. What about? Today's WIG Talks Brilliant or Bust podcast was sponsored by Vidispine, cloud-based media workflow solutions to maximize your media potential. Zixi, the global leader in broadcast quality live video over IP. Object Matrix, the cloud storage people who provide platforms that enable creative and production teams with self-serve access to media content on-premise or remotely from anywhere. Today's contributors were Hawthorne Innovation, helping bring the power of modern artificial intelligence and the cloud to bear on story production, content supply chains, and media systems integration. And Christy King, LLC, a media technology consultancy and content creator. <music>